Hi everyone, this is Derek Harp, the founder and chairman of the Control System Cybersecurity Association International, or as we call it, just CSE. CSE is a 501c6 nonprofit workforce development association dedicated to helping grow, support, and sustain the professionals charged with the cybersecurity of control systems. We're specifically talking about those systems that have pumps and valves and actuators, real cyber to physical moving parts, and control nearly every aspect of our modern connected industries. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. It is my hope you find it inspirational or motivating or revealing or informative, and perhaps at times even a little entertaining. Take care and be well. Hi, this is Derek Harp, the founder and chairman of CSA and the host of the CSA podcast show. And I've got another great guest for you. Uh, as we approach 100 episodes, we're getting pretty close. Uh, today, I've got Rob Dyson. He is the global OT security services leader for IBM. He, in addition to that, he is a military veteran. He is a technologist. He's a father, husband, grandfather, and near and dear to my heart, he's a scuba diver. And uh, so welcome to the show, Rob. Thanks, Derek. I'm really glad to be here. Well, Rob, you know, we're going to end up, obviously, at the end of this chat, where you are now. And anybody who's, you know, leading a OT services area for a major company like IBM, this is an awesome guest to have on the show because, you know, that's our focus of CSE is, is control system and operating technology, cybersecurity. And here it is. You're running a whole practice on that. But let's go all the way back in the time machine. And um, I think what we hear from a lot of our listeners, it's been awesome to hear each of your stories, your journeys about where you, you know, you ended there. So I always say that the joke that uh, cybersecurity people are modern day superheroes and they have a backstory. So let's go all the way back to you know, where you grew up. Yeah, you know, that that seems like the natural question people ask, you know, it's like the uh, the door opener. But when you're a military brat, you know, so my father was in the army and back in the days when I was a dependent, uh, you know, child, um, you know, he moved every single year. So answering the question and people who who have been in my shoes, they, they know, right? They know that, hey, where did you grow up? So, you know, we did kind of gravitate back in North Carolina, you know, Fort Bragg, North Carolina. But uh, honestly, you know, I've lived, uh, you know, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Germany, uh, Arkansas, Pine Bluff and Little Rock and uh, then Missouri. And that, that's just my growing up years through college. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is a way of life. Right. I have a number of friends I uh, I served like you did. And we'll talk about that next. But that I lived, you know, I was in one one place on the on the East Coast. But I had friends and colleagues who grew up in it, and it's a mm -hmm. it's a whole different experience to have your whole life sort of like, well, where are you from? I'm from I'm from everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's good and bad with that. You know, the, the the good of that is you get to experience a lot of different things. You know, if you're in one place, you know, you probably get through high school and say, God, I got to see the world. <laughs> yeah. Or I, I I get through high school and I go, man, I'd like to just land somewhere for a while. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's funny then. Yeah, I was in the other category. I, I, I'd grown up in the Midwest and, and really hadn't gotten a chance to get to see the world. And so that was part of my motivation was like, I got I to gotta go see what's beyond the borders of Midwest. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, just so, uh, yeah, different perspectives, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I bet, it's, I bet it's a part of who you are today. I mean, as far as um, yeah. you, you have perspective and culturals, you've seen other cultures, you've you know, worked with lots of groups. Your practice is, is global, right? Your current yep, practice. It, it is. And, you know, traveling around the world like I do, because that's what I do. So it isn't as hard for me, probably, as it would be for some, right? I mean, it's just uh, I've been all around, you know, different cultures and so on. And I think I'm very adaptable. It probably goes right back to my childhood. Yeah, probably does. Yeah, it makes makes sense. Or formative years. 
So I always am curious, uh, you know, when or if cybersecurity, typically not control systems, but either one of them intersect with anybody's pre, you know, pre, pre-adult life. Is there mm-hmm. any technology or even technology, not just security? Anything in your yeah. life? You know, prior to going to college, I always felt like I'd like to do something in technology, not because I've been exposed to it, really. It's just because of, there were people talking about it. And you got to remember, though, this, you know, I'm an old timer. So <laughs> this goes back into the 70s, you know, when, you know, there wasn't a lot, you know, out there other than like, you know, the Jetsons or something like that. You know, yeah. but, 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 you know, I, I just was always intrigued by, you know, just technology and, you know, these, you know, future types of things. And, and it kind of goes back into my, just my nature of, really wanting to do new things, you know, not, not just kind of doing the same old thing or, you know, I, I always kind of got that pioneer spirit, I guess. Yeah. And you, and so if I'm not, if I'm remembering you, you, you went into a computer degree, a base degree. I did. And that's what drove me to do that right off the bat. Like, so, you know, a lot of the college freshmen, they go and they don't, don't really know what they want to do, right? I mean, it's normal. Uh, I have two kids, <laughs> so uh, you know. Yeah. And, uh, and but when I went in, I was driven. I said, you know, I, I want to go into some sort of computer science. And back in those days, you know, it was IBM, you know, Hallworth cards, card punches, you know, and uh, you know, you, you're writing out your 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 programs, you know, and then you're having them punched up for you. You know, and that's what I learned on. And uh, yeah, so uh, I stuck to it. You know, I mean, I went in as a freshman, started taking those classes and I went all the way through and got the degree. So, yeah, I was I was pretty driven. Yeah, that's sort of. Well, it doesn't matter. I editor cut that out. I was going to make a comment that we don't need to make. So at this point, I'm curious, I know you go into into the Army. Were you an ROTC? Yeah. Yeah. So military family. (laughs) And, yeah. and actually, you know, my whole family, my, I have an older sister and a younger brother. And so my older sister was all already in ROTC. And uh, so, you know, my dad is like, hey, you know, you, you just do it, you know, go for the scholarship. If you get it, great. You got free tuition and everything. And I was somewhat the rebel. I'm like, ah, I don't know if I really want to do that, you know. So, but after paying for my own college for one freshman year, I said, okay. Fine. I'll apply, you know, yeah. Yeah, halfway hoping I wouldn't get it, but I got it. So I got a three-year uh, ROTC scholarship, which um, I really loved and, you know, graduated regular army. And so, you know, got the uh, commission and uh, that's how I got started, you know, with my military career. Well, I think if I, you know, if I remember right, if I were younger, maybe 20 years younger, I would still have to make an army joke right about now because I went Art Navy. But you know what? Now yeah. it's just like, hey, thanks for your service. I'm not going to give any disparaging comments about, you know, ground pounders or whatever. The, I don't remember even all the jokes. I don't. I don't. I've purged them. Oh, I'm used to it. My, my, my sister is married to an ex-Air uh, Force. So we always have the, uh, the you know, the, the, the rivalry around Army-Navy game, you know. Yeah. And, and, of course, you know, there's always the Army-Air Force jokes. <laughs> And I believe something about calling them the chair force comes to mind, but yeah, I, I heard something. Yeah, something uh, like that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, what, so what, did you, what did you do then? What was your, you know, it looks like you did a similar to me. I did a little over four years based on a commitment, and yeah. you did as well. What did you do during that four years? You know, I, I've been, my whole career, I've just been, I feel like just so lucky, so fortunate. So I joined, and I, I went 25 Bravo with Signal Corps. 
and uh, 25 Bravo is information technology. So when I, it, but I got assigned of all places to Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Well, if you, you remember, I was saying I kind of was back and forth to yeah. Fort Bragg. So my dad was special forces. So that was a big special forces location. Right. And, and so I'm assigned, you know, 82nd Airborne Division uh, at uh, Fayetteville, North Carolina, at Fort Bragg. And I started off logistics for just a short while, but then they, they, they said, hey, you know, we're going to create this mobile data center. And they chose me to basically implement the thing and run it. Uh, you know, so I, that's why I tell people I'm the first one ever. And, and I know this because there is and nobody else could say that that actually ran a mobile data center. Now I'm gonna put a little twist in it that can be airdropped out of a C-130. You know, when you throw it all in there, you know, I'd, I challenge anyone to say, oh, no, you know, I used to do that. I don't think so. Yeah, but no, we'd take the chassis off to the back in a semi-trailer van, right? And back in the days, remember, you had disc packs, you had tape drives, and. You had holler with cards, believe it or not. And uh, we were running that computer out of that uh, semi-trailer van. But uh, you want to talk about business continuity. Hey, you don't learn business continuity until you really have to pack this thing up. You take it off the truck chassis, right? And, yeah. and then so you got the deuce and a half that's going to be dropped as well. So you got a deuce and a half, a chassis, and you got that, you know, box, <laughs> the semi-trailer box. And all of it's going to be pushed out of the back of a C-130. And then we put it all back together, take it off into the woods somewhere. And then, you know, we use microwave for communications and we use uh, generators for power. And that's that, you know, I mean, I'm talking real business continuity, you know, put it together, get it powered up, get your communications connected. and, And there you go. And, oh, there's so many things that come to mind. Like, okay, is that thing? What's the risk to uh, keeping our operation, you know, going and resiliency? Like, well, we have some extra risks. Well, yeah. it might not always be, um, you know, pertinent for for someone in, you know, in some big city of, you know, setting up a a, a, a tower or a center, you know, in a business tower. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You had, some, you had some extra risks there. It's interesting. I never thought about this, but the truck as well. So it wasn't about dropping it into a place where you implemented it. It was dropping it and potentially moving to a place where you were going to implement that. Right, right. Now, you know, when we weren't in the field, so to speak, we would uh, run that. We had a fenced-in area, and that's but it was still a semi-trailer. We would never change that, you know, and, and we had regular building power. We didn't have to run off generators. Yeah. yeah, you know, when we go out to the field, we have to be able to pack it up, load it, and then drop it. And we would all jump in because we're all, you know, everybody's airborne, you know, when you're in the airborne, 82nd Airborne Division. So you jump out as well, you know, that's your, your own practice to go and then, you know, put it all together and run it. So, so uh, is there anything from that time period has affected you throughout your, your career? Is it that, that anything from that sort of thinking about resiliency and, and. Well, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I don't want to jump too far ahead, but, you know, business continuity, you know, became a part of my career at a point. Yeah. And I ran that, you know, for Accenture. Uh, and I built that business practice for them, you know, so, you know, the whole thing about, you know, I, I can kind of go through the steps, you know, of the things I've learned, which actually benefits me today, you know, in the role that I have, but, but it is kind of somewhat stair steps, but if I, you know, and I didn't know it in the day, you know, business continuity and all that, but boy, when you start applying it to, you know, corporate business, for me, it sinks in a little different. And say some other people who thinks it's more like, you know, disaster recovery, failover and all that sort of thing. You know, for me, it's it's really more 
gosh, you know, how do you get this running, you know, full stop, you know, and um, even in some cases, you know, having to move it somewhere. But yeah, so, so yeah, that was good training, good training. Yeah, I bet. Okay, and you built on that, and and I and I don't know if you know where you might want to share some milestone stories, but you went to very storied, well-known, large companies: EDS, Deloitte and Touche, Accenture, an independent time period, and some startup exposure, which I do want to touch on. And then, uh, and now, quite a few years uh, at IBM, a, a decade at, at IBM. So, yeah. um, you know, those are all building blocks. So, anything you want to share along those sort of milestones of things that led, and where did security? You know, I, I should back up. Any any real discussion? I'm sure guards and guns and fences security, yeah. physical security, sure, no doubt. What about yeah. cybersecurity, information security, as it might have been called? Uh, I remember when I first started out, cybersecurity wasn't a term. Right. But, yeah. If you go yeah. back, does security or cybersecurity come into your your path? everything? Everything in those days was network security. So, like I said, our communications was microwave, right? So, you know, being able to encrypt and things like that, but. No, you know, back in those days, there, there, you know, there probably wasn't that much hacking that way. Now, like to your point, we had to have a Tempest approved. Like that van was Tempest approved. So that would that. Yeah. Might not know what yeah. yeah. What they may, yeah. If you don't know what that means, that just means that the walls of that van was certified, so signals couldn't get through it. Right. So if I was trying to, you know, say hack with, you know, some sort of a radio signal, because that back in those days was kind of mainly radio signals types of things. So, you know, uh, but it had to be approved that none of that could get in. So today, if you were fast forward today, if you went in with your cell phone, it wouldn't work. Right. That's Tempest. When you well, walk nothing, in, nothing, in, nothing out, right? Both nothing right. Correct. Nothing yeah. in, nothing out. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So they did have that, you know, as far as, okay, you know, we've got to be secure from a Tempest perspective. Obviously, you know, the, the physical security, all of that was there. And then from a, you know, because everything's, you know, somewhat direct line of sight, right? So even a microwave, you think about, you know, that and the uh, shortwave, you know, type communication, that, that's, that's secure that way because it's, it's line of sight. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's a good point is that the kinds of things that might fall under security evolved over your career, but the concept of security was there from day one. It just, it just got a bigger, it's got a bigger part of your mind share until today. It's what you're focused on. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and because of that, when I was in EDS, I left the army and then I went as a software developer in EDS. And so kind of went back to my college roots, you know, and, so I really, I love that. I love programming. And, but that's benefited me even today in security to really understand what software development is and how programs are developed or maintained and, and how someone could actually maliciously, you know, get into a soft, you know, an application, let's say, and, and you know, manipulate it. You know, let's just say, put it that way. You know, and I know those concepts because I was a software developer, but but I uh, did get the chance at EES to, to uh, run a network group, not network security, because security really wasn't a thing. So what we did is, you know, they need somebody um, to manage the new network group services because we're getting into client server, right? So, so that's how far back I go. So, <laughs> you know, everything else, you know, and, and I, I want to say this is correlates and I do tell this story, you know, a lot in, in some of my presentations is that 
it reminds me of those days to, you know, when I think of industrial security. Why? Because it's the behavior. It's the thought that, hey, we're isolated, right? Nobody can attack us because we're air gapped, right? When you go back to those days, like say the 90s, everybody felt that way too, because they had private communications with their data center, right? And, and everything was terminal driven. It, you know, we didn't have client server even in those days. So everybody felt secure because, you know, you, you kind of owned it all. The data center, the network connection, you buy private lines from the uh, communications companies and, and that's how it worked. And then we went client server and that changed a lot, right? So now we started seeing, you know, malicious activity because of just client server. That's even before the internet. So we started getting introduced to security way back then. And all of it was network though. And that's why I tell people today, hey, if you really wanna be good in OT security, learn the network. I'm gonna tell you there's, you know, I mean, a security program has all parts, right? But learn the network. And I think that's where I think some practitioners really have, I don't know, I, I guess kind of missed a step. They're, they're not learning the network. <laughs> and how the network really does work, because um, it's hard to really understand security if you don't understand the network. That comes up a lot, and you are not the first person to say that. It's like, if there's one thing to really know fundamentally, understand how that networking works, and the, the seven-layer mm -hmm. model, OSI, and the, just the protocol, the basic thing, the, the building block, if you will, of all this stuff. It's curious. A different discipline too, which is understanding how software is made. And a lot of them don't come from that background and that's fine. Maybe they really know networking, which is great, but you do bring some interesting things from software too. So if the software engineers that are out there that say, hey, I'd like to really break into cybersecurity, because we get the question all the time, how do I get into this? How do I get into OT mm -hmm. cybersecurity? You could say in the greater context, how do I get into cybersecurity at all? So software developers would bring a great asset with them, but one of the first things they could look to try to master is the networking part, right? Add that. That's right. They still need to know that. Yeah, because if you don't understand the network, I guarantee you're, you're going to be caught off guard because companies are going to pull their network architecture into the story at some point. Hey, I'm using, you know, these various yeah. different devices. And, and if you don't understand how that network is architected or why it is, it's hard to give somebody advice back on how to really create a good security program because that network's the foundation, right? Yeah. So where, you know, security, obviously that theme takes over your life uh, more and more at each of these, at these steps. Do you remember when it completely takes over? Is that, I mean, what did oh, you, yeah. Deloitte yeah. and Accenture, what was sort of the percentage of cyber work you were doing? Well, that was the big break, right? So, um, I left programming in EDS, did that network security or network. I always throw security in there myself, but the, the network services job. And then I got asked to do a data management. I run a, a brand new offering around data management. And so I, at EDS, we had created, I guess it was a tool called MediaVault. Yeah, I call it that. And that was the early days of search engines, right? This was before Google, before all that, you know. I think it was a big missed opportunity by EDS, but that's kind of why I left. I felt like EDS just wasn't getting it, you know, and it was early internet and we'd created something pretty slick that honestly could have competed with, with the Googles of the day. It came later, but you know, I got a, a typical thing, you know, our careers, I get a call, right, from a recruiter. 
that says, hey, I got this great role at Deloitte and, you know, it's for SAP security. And I said, and, and you're calling me? I said, I don't know anything about SAP and I had no idea about security. And uh, they're willing to take a chance on you if you want to take a chance on them. And I said, you know what? I like that answer. I'm going to go and see what this is all about. And so I did. And in those days, I wanted to be a CIO. That was my career thing. I got to be a CIO, right? And I said, you know what? I probably should know more about security if I'm going to be a good CIO. So I said, you know, I basically negotiated a job there and got into SAP security, which is really good for me because SAP is all about the application, right? It's just a, it's a big application that does a lot of things. And now how do you secure that? Right. So it was a great way to get in, you know, kind of take my software development skills and security, well, learning new security skills and, you know, bring them together. And then what happened was Deloitte started branching off into other security types of, of services. And so I ended up being the Midwest security services leader. So I, I advanced, you know, uh, over those years myself and and then I had uh, all the disciplines, you know, uh, so I was kind of running that Midwest region, you know, of all the disciplines. But across different uh, industry verticals and across the product and services suite. Correct. Okay. Yeah. 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 So I had, well, when I say the Midwest, I really had TOLA, you know, so the Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana, Arkansas, that was my region. And okay. I was running that. And, but then uh, Accenture, you know, they had a great opportunity to do something similar, they were growing uh, a security practice, didn't have much, neither, so they kind of catch, right? In, in the army, I kept creating something new. And then in EDS, I kept creating new stuff. And Deloitte, you know, brand new security practice that evolved into a much, you know, more comprehensive type of uh, security practice. And, and then Accenture was just starting theirs to compete. So I went from Deloitte to Accenture, and that's where my GRC came in. So they asked me to create the, the you know, governance risk management consulting or uh, compliance offering, right, for them. And that, that was my first step in Accenture. And then I got into identity management and I got into all the other things and I would lead those service lines to build them up. And but then Accenture, for you guys who are new out there and you see Accenture as such a strong security player, but back in the day, they actually decided to get out of security. <laughs> That's why I left, <laughs> because as a partner and a leader, a global leader, I was like, okay, so what's next for us, you know? And some stayed to go into their outsourcing business and just stayed there. So if any of you guys are part of that today, you know what I mean. <laughs> and, but then, you know, they decided, okay, we, we're going to get back into it. And they got back into it in a big way. Uh, yeah. They're obviously our biggest competitor here at IBM. So yeah, I didn't know there was a period of uh, let's get out of this. And yeah, how and long? Most people don't. <laughs> yeah, what's that window of time from when you guys were spinning up and you were doing the stuff you were doing there, and we're going to get out and they're back in? What's that window of our? Hey, everybody, Derek Harp here, and I just want to take a brief moment to thank three companies that make this podcast series possible. The first company is Waterfall Security Solutions, and they led the charge this year for the podcast. And they specifically sponsored it from their podcast, the Industrial Security Podcast. So check that out. That's a great linkage to an entire other series of over 100 episodes. They had their anniversary recently focused on control system cybersecurity. And they were supported this year by KPMG and Fortinet. 
We could not do this without them. These companies not only have supported this podcast series this year, but they've supported CSA since its very early days, eight years ago. And we're entirely grateful to the teams and dedicated professionals at Waterfall Security Solutions, KPMG, and Fortinet. Well, so I was with them, what, seven years, maybe seven and a half. And, and that, so that's kind of the start to, I'm going to get out, right? And the reason they decided to get out really goes back to the days when, you know, they, they had the, the, basically the shutdown of the audit firm, you know, Accenture, you know, came from the big four or big, was it six back in those days? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. six, five, four now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So. So the, the new uh, CEO and, and that his C-suite came from that. And they're like, oh, the security is too much of a risk. So they decided, you know, and I got the cease and desist. We're not going to market security. We're not going to consult in security and all of that. So that's where if you look back, you know, my peers, all the partners and everybody uh, ended up going to different places and, and are you know, probably competing, you know, like they've some went to Deloitte, some, you know, went to KPMG and, and so on and so forth. But yeah, all of us kind of scattered. And uh, I had the, uh, that non-compete, right, you know, as all of yeah. us did. And, and so that, that's when I jumped into, you know, uh, did a little bit of my own consulting. Uh, and then I also uh, got an opportunity to do a startup with a friend and, you know, in GRC, you know, so uh, he wanted oh, to start something. All bootstrapping entrepreneurs of all types who can never afford to get somebody with your profile to join me at this crazy idea I've got. Thank you for doing your time at a startup. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, it's a lot of work because I seem to be the knowledge guy. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, that was an interesting year. But Any words of wisdom for entrepreneurs in the cybersecurity space? As we have some of our listeners are definitely from that group. And sometimes people like you can share, especially because you've got the different perspectives, you can share a nugget or two. You know, they're you know their frustrations. It's long sales cycles, hard to get taken seriously, how to get big companies to take me, you know, buy my product. Any words of wisdom for, for cybersecurity entrepreneurs and their teams? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that's the time where looking back at my my startup time, you, you know, do some things for free, right? Just go out there work for clients, showcase what you can do, show the value, and then let them help you, you know, you know, launch your company. We didn't do it quite that way. And I think that made it harder for us. And the other thing too is we were uh, self-funded. There was, a, there was a little, you know, of uh, selfishness, I think there that, hey, you know, we can do this, we self-fund and, you know, we don't have to split this if it grows. and and I, I, I wouldn't do it that way again. I, I think you, you go out and if you can get the interest, then, hey, invite people in and invite people in to invest, to participate, you know, and all of that. I think you'll grow faster uh, that way than, than trying to be, you know, truly independent because you think you have this great idea because that, that's certainly the hard way to do it. Oh, Rob, I, I tell you what, a 25-year, you know, entrepreneur, I, that resonates with me so strongly. And I don't have any data to prove this, but I've now talked or had on so many entrepreneurs approach me for advice. And my thought is more people have starved their baby out of a sense of like fear about having investors part of it. I get some fear around it, but fear or, you know, it's going to be big. And if I can just keep a hold of all of it and they've starved to yeah. death and we've never heard of their products or services, they never make the light of day. 
That's exactly right. And although I will say, yeah, my partner, he has driven on and, and he is continuing to do that. Um, but it's slow, you know, and in the world of technology, you can't be slow. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's great idea is yesterday's idea in a year. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so yeah, you, you got to be able to move fast in the world of technology. So, um, but, but that aside, you know, for me personally, great opportunity to kind of get that one punch, that ticket punch to kind of get the feel, what it would feel like to, to go and, and do something on an independent nature, uh, you know, the whole business thing, because when you do a startup, you know, it's you're wearing every hat, <laughs> you know, Charlie, you got marketing, you know, you got the sales, you, you got proposals, you've got delivery, you, you know, I mean, you're wearing it all, right? Yeah, yeah one day you have the bill all the way around uh, 360, you can just keep turning. <laughs> That's it. That's it. Yeah, yeah, you're the CEO one minute and you're you're the uh, SME delivery guy the next minute. <laughs> yeah. Emptying the trash and making the coffee the next minute. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so you went from a startup to another small company, the, the International Business Machines. I've heard of them. So interesting, you know, well, well, too. I, I got this opportunity, you know, very strange because I was just about to sign a deal to be a partner at EMY. When you go into you know direct admit partner, it's a long process. Let me tell you, they just don't. It's not like, hey, let's interview. Hey, we love you. You know, and, and this would have been for me to to run the uh, security practice in the Middle East. They just wanted to start up a Middle East uh, security yeah. practice, and that would have you know been a big hit on me family wise because um, my family didn't want to move, and so that would have been out and uh, so like I say, a long process. Most of that year. I've been interviewing with them and um, been living. If you had brought your, if you know, that family dimension and moving to other parts of the world, including that part of the world, it's a big, there's a lot of questions around doing it. Yeah. Where would you have been? Dubai. Dubai. Okay. So, yeah. There's worse places to live than Dubai. <laughs> there's certainly our higher risk profile locations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Dubai is, is certainly nice, but you know, uh, but my family wasn't going to do, they were, you know, high school. Oh all yeah. That. So, yeah. so they're not they're not going over there. But um, then out of the blue, I get a call from what I thought was a recruiter from IBM and, you know, talking to me a little about, you know, the what they're doing and what, you know, asking me about my interest, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I told this person, I said, hey, you know, this sounds really cool. And, you know, obviously, IBM, I like I like IBM, even though I've worked there kind of I know IBM. And uh, so this guy says, well, look, I think what we need is face-to-face -face interview. I said, but, hey, I'm going to tell you said, flat out, I got to move fast. And um, he says, fine, let's go to, Bo I'll fly you to Boston. We we'll do this. Turned out that guy was my boss. Turned out to be, he, they made an offer on the spot. Talk about different, right? This long process with EY, the interview. And then with, with the IBM, it was like, boom, boom, boom. This sounded too good to be true. So I told EY, no, because I didn't have to move with IBM. I've been living in Dallas for a long time. So, so I was like, yeah, this is great. And, you know, what I want to say, Derek, is remember I started with EDS after the Army? Well, you know where EDS came from, right? Ross Perot, IBM. So EDS's culture was IBM. So yeah. when I got into IBM, I'm like, I'm back home. <laughs> I mean, the DNA was so strong, it was the same. 
It was, was, and it is, you know, even after all these years, the culture here. So I feel like I'm back home and uh, in the security practice and I got hired into that. And here I am again, right? They're building, they're building their security practice. Kind of again, what happens, IBM had a very scattered security capability. It's probably better to call a capability than a practice. And now they're going to bring it all together. That was in 2012. And um, they're they're just pulling all leadership and everything and formulating a new security services practice, which they didn't have before. And so they asked me if I'd run security strategy, risk and compliance. And I said, absolutely. Yeah. So I did that. And in the process of building that, since I had carte blanche to figure out, well, what services will we put into that? One of the services that we did put in there from a more of a compliance standpoint was, which we didn't call OT security in those days. It was just because OT security wasn't OT security, if you recall. I mean, some call it process security. ICS, there, the OT kind of formulated after, you know, everybody got tired of too many things. And there's still but, people uh, don't want to call it that, but it's probably the term du jour, but you're right. It, it came from lots of different things, infrastructure and critical infrastructure and- yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, but we did consulting mainly in the energy utilities area. And so I hired a bunch of people to do that. And uh, that started taking off right around 2016. And so, uh, you know, I asked, hey, you know, if we spin this off, I think we're, we're starting to see market demand. And so somebody else took my role to run the global service line for security strategy, risk and compliance. And I moved in full time into OT security. And uh, from 2016 till today, I've been running that globally. Yeah. And, you know, that's obviously our association's sole focus. And it's, and there's so many things within it. It sounds like a oh. box. Here's cybersecurity. And now we'll confine ourselves to only talk about cybersecurity as it pertains to OT. Oh, wait, there's all these different businesses and all these different things. And it's it's uh, and a whole bunch of different kinds of people and 20 years of technology that's not refreshed. And it's, it's different. I, well, I probably yeah. drawn in to conversations all the time still with you know, is it really all that different? Or why do you have a whole association focused on there's cybersecurity and cybersecurity is like, no, there's enough differences. Well, there is, you know, not to mention the endpoints, right? But, you know, if you just look at that, right? But but then it's the behavior and it's how they're organized and governed, you know, which is why a lot of companies fail because they want to take their IT mindset, IT security mindset, and push that into this operational environment. And it's just two different cultures. And so that OT culture, that operational culture also doesn't, they, they over time, they've kind of <laughs> distrusted, you know, the corporate guys, you know, like, you know, you don't know my world, you know, you go stay in your plush offices and I'll stay down here where it's dirty and grimy and, and keep the company running. <laughs> yeah. You stay there. I'll stay here. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. it. That's it. Yeah. So, so yeah, since 2016, I've been, you know, in there growing that and um, you being part of that, you, you well know, you know, it's been a journey and we're, we're just still in the beginning of this journey. You know, we, we've got lots more to go. I tell people, look, if you look at the IT side, we've been doing IT security for 30 years, right? Since the internet really in a big way. You know, so you could say, you know, somewhere late 90s, you know, we got started with 
security professionals, people we said, hey, you are a security architect or you are a security professional now. Well, today you can go to college and get a security degree. You know, you didn't, you couldn't do that in my day. And, you know, but it, it's just so mature on that corporate side, yet they still have lots of problems, right? And the reason they have problems is because of change, right? And, you know, change is, is the enemy uh, for risk management, right? Because any change says, I've got to figure out where my vulnerabilities are and all that sort of thing. And, and those vulnerabilities obviously uh, are attackers' dreams <laughs> to just get in, and whether it's in, inside threat or, or external. Well, on your corporate, I mean, on your industrial side, that is critical infrastructure, right? So if I'm a company and I make cars, is my corporate data really where my focus should be, where all my investment goes? No, it should be making cars. That's my sensitive, that's my crown jewels. You know, we always say crown jewels is data, right? We always say that, right? Oh, the data is a crown jewels. I'd argue now, now that we've got this whole new area that we're focusing on and going into, your crown jewels are what you're producing and selling. That's your crown. Now, if you're financial services, okay, fine. But if you're in an industrial, you know, electricity, you know, you're, you know, some sort of fixed goods, you know, manufacturing. Even if you're yeah. stamping out corrugated cardboard, I mean, that, that's a gold cardboard per second, yeah. per minute. You know the metrics of how you produce it and have the revenue assigned to that. Absolutely. That's your crown jewels, right? And if somebody monkeys with the quality, right? They get the, the, the wrong formula because somebody's monkeyed with that. Now you're, whatever you're producing is bad, you know? And if it's something that's a consumable, it could kill people. I mean, you can go on and on with all of that, but you know what I mean? I mean, that's what intrigues me about this job. I mean, I, I look and I, like I said in the beginning, I've been so fortunate to have the career I've had because I'm always moving into something new. And, and this is why I'm here, right? I got the chance, again, in a big company. So I've tasted a little bit of that doing it on your own where there's a whole lot of financial risk. And here I get, I get to innovate and grow a business within you know, the walls of big company. So my investor is IBM in a sense. Uh, so, it, you know, and in the day it was Deloitte and uh, Eric Accenture or EDS, you know, always had this right in my career. So that that kind of, I guess, brands me as an individual, you know, because I've been it's, this innovator in the walls of big companies. Well, you know, what I love about this interview series, which I launched during the pandemic, and I didn't really have an expectation of what it might turn into. And it's turned into this mm -hmm. thing with a bunch of followers is that you've all come from very different backgrounds. And my own personal sort of view, and I suppose my work now with Accenture and not being a product company entrepreneur anymore, or at least for the last five years, I haven't done any of that. It's been, we're, 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 it's all a chessboard, and we do need all these different people with all these different backgrounds. Like the OT engineers are running a plant and keeping it resilient and running. They're not gonna solve this by themselves. Oh, hey, the right. IT guys and cyber guys, you are not gonna solve this by yourselves. You know, startup guys, you're not gonna gals, you're not gonna solve this by yourselves. Government, definitely not going to solve it by themselves, but it has a role to play. And so big right. companies, small companies, we need each other. We need to communicate better. We need to build common languages that don't always exist between groups. We got to trust each other better. That that seems to me today, the thing I'm most excited about is how can we build better bridges between 
people that hold these different perspectives and puzzle pieces. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. That's the challenge we have today, right, is is really that cultural divide. And and uh, it, but, but think about it today, because we're taking baby steps in the industrial operations today. Visibility. Right. We always talk, well, gosh, you know, my inventory, you know, who's got good insight into their inventory? Nobody. <laughs> so let, let's see if we can at least get that going. <laughs> Oh, my network, is it still flat? Is it, you know, do I, do I have any kind of security controls built into my network? Probably not. Okay, let's kind of start there, you know, maybe, maybe a DMZ, you know, I mean, can't tell you how many companies I walk into and, you know, we'll start collecting data on the network and we're getting corporate data. Uh, what? <laughs> I thought you said you were air-gapped. <laughs> Why is this over here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know... It, about the assets, it's like the assets that we bought that we own, oh, and these assets that apparently are not network that we don't know what they are. Yeah, and then you talk about shadow assets, right? Because somebody put stuff in there maliciously or or maybe not even maliciously, yeah. like, you know, the, the, the whole thing about iPhones or phones in general, just mobile phones, and you need them charged, right? So they pick a USB port, plug it in. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah, what a great way to just move that malware right in. Yeah. Yeah, that, let's talk about the air gap concept. So where was the phone just four hours ago? Outside your network? And now it's yeah. being charged inside your network? I, I, I think the air gap notion, yeah, let's just not use that term anymore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's yeah. A, but a lot of them still feel their air gaps. Yeah. yeah, and they want to use data diodes and everything to prevent data from coming in or going out. I mean, yeah. I tell you, it's very interesting mindset that we're working with today. Sure. Maybe that'll change 10 years from now. Let me tell you, it'll be a whole different world. Yeah, well, my, I, you know, my perspective is I, I switched over, started working in this area 13 years ago, you know, and thought things would be maybe further along than they are now. But but it is a thermometer or barometer or whatever, and it's rising. And there is oh, more yeah. of everything, more knowledge, more discussion, more growth, more boards talking about it. You Absolutely. Know, and, Less flat networks in total, you know, more right. seg yep. network segmentation. Our annual survey shows network segmentation is absolutely one of the biggest areas that's happening. You know, yep. past tense and current invest future investment. We know we're, we're, we're getting away from our flat networks. Now that may vary. The cardboard manufacturer versus the oil refinery. There could be maturity difference there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. So we have a journey ahead of us, which is if you're if you are like me, that you live for the journey, right? You, you live for that because you can, you just build it up. And uh, yeah, there can be some frustrations because you think well, they should be getting this by now. And, uh, well, so, uh, this is an awesome segment of something really important for me to ask you because I think you'll have some, based on your roles and your senior role now and working with at the level at probably companies where you're interacting, we get this question almost every week you know we have a live event every wednesday at one and there's always some questions we can absolutely predict are going to be in there one of them that repeats itself all the time even multiple people asking the same event how do i get you know they're talking about bosses and bosses bosses maybe they're talking about boards if they're a senior player they're certainly talking mm -hmm. about executives how do i get them on board this idea it's phrased in different ways but it's the same thing how do i get them to get this um right. and they they don't currently is the implication right um what you know, you probably, you, I'm sure, based on your where you are now, you're working often interfacing with senior level people at these companies, clients. Yep. Of yours. Yep. And and, wow. you, and the answer to me is at least that's what we do to answer this this question 
it all comes down in changing your language. So you have to talk in terms of risk. I have risk. What is my risk? All right. How do I mitigate that risk? Right. So because we get it all the time. I've never been attacked. So why should I worry? Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, you know, it goes back to, well, have you, you really know you haven't been attacked? You have no visibility. <laughs> so how do you know you haven't been attacked and they're stealing information or, you know, maybe that last recall you had because of all the bad shipment you had, maybe that was a malicious attack. You don't know because you have no visibility. But really putting it into the risk management language, because that's what boards talk about. Boards talk about what is my risk, right? Financial risk and, you know, and, and you know, all, all kinds of different kinds of what, what's the real risk to my company? And, and all of those risks, I've got a little presentation I give on that. All of those risks actually play into cybersecurity, you know. So, you know, we used to always say, gosh, risk is really just operational risk. No, it's not. It's actually more than that. Because remember, I said they're critical infrastructure. So that critical infrastructure now is a financial risk to them because if I shut down my most profitable, you know, uh, manufacturing line and it's down for some period of time, which happened, it's, you know, Clorox not long ago. And uh, what, what do you do? You know, I mean, that's a big financial impact. Now it's material. Now, because of the SEC laws, you're going to have to report that. And, uh, and what are you doing about it? So it's getting serious. And, and so, but, but what my advice always is, is, okay, change the language. Don't talk technical. They, they're not going to get all that. You go technical and tactical and everybody's going to just kind of gloss over. You start talking about what's the risk to the company and everybody starts to listen. It's about the senior leaders will. They'll start listening, right? Because that's the language they speak. That's wise, wise words. It's like learn the language you need to use. Don't keep banging the same drum if you don't feel it's effective, especially don't keep banging the same drum. What do I need to, what words do I need to use? What language do I need to use to, to, to talk in a way that, that this gets across? Yeah, that, that, that that's right. Sense. Yeah, and, and we're starting to get requests for that. I'm working on one right now with a uh, CIO who, that's his question. <laughs> he yeah. says, you know, I'm just not getting the budget. So how, how can you help me? And I said, well, what we need to do is we need to be able to identify your risk and impact. And then we can put that together and we need to present that to the board. Yeah. Then they'll get it. And we, we don't have time to get into it today. Maybe we need to get into it subsequently with you. There's methodologies. It's not just like, oh, let's make a PowerPoint. Here are some of your risks. You're talking right. about the discipline and it's waiting. And it's, it's not just how big an impact it would be, but how likely. There, there are now good disciplines and frameworks around this. And so you're presenting Absolutely. something the same way for years and years, decades, they would have been mitigating risk, some companies against hurricanes or other things. They wouldn't yep. think twice about understanding the risk to that. If they're a coastal operation, they would be part of their, they'd be part of their decision making, right? That's right. That is absolutely correct. And uh, yeah, so, uh, but that's it. You know, you, you got to take that and twist it just a little bit and you put it into the right language and, it doesn't take them long to see that that is their critical business process. And yeah, I need to protect my data because I've got laws and regulations around PII and data sensitivity. But when I spend their attention over here to say, where do you really make your money? Yeah. <laughs> they go, oh my goodness. I am investing in the wrong place. And, and then the question comes up, well, do I shift my budget or do I come up with a new budget? 
Yeah. Yeah. I think you got to come up with a new budget. You can't really just shift it because then you might leave your data still exposed, which, you know, that you can't go backwards. So, yeah, it's a great topic. I, I think that all of us in the security business need to embrace, you know, so because it will help us all, no matter what your discipline is in this field, you know, to be able to talk in the you know context of risk. And the big four taught me that. OK, you know, the, the audit <laughs> firms, you know, they taught me that. And, and so that stuck with me. And that's another pillar in my career that made me where, you know, able to do what I do today. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, you know, wrap up here. Um, you and I can, I think, go a long while. Any words of wisdom, if you look at all these years and all these experiences, we do know that, that a certain percentage, 10% or so of our followers and listeners are very, very early in their career. And they're making early decisions or looking to, you know, what decision, what should I do next? So any right. words of wisdom from you, if you, you know, if you're sitting down across uh, from you in mm -hmm. you know, 1984 or whatever, what would you say now? Well, I, I would say uh, just kind of continuing that, that train of thought. Uh, two, two things for me, I started off my career as a super hard driver, type A, you know, and, you know, I was one of those guys who just kind of work myself to death, you know. I mean, I literally, I would get like two hours of sleep, stuff like that, you know, crazy, crazy. Uh, but pace yourself, right? And don't try to solve all problems by yourself, right? It's a team, you know, it's a teamwork. And the other thing is, is I want to continue on the theme of risk. Security is an element of risk management. We're not doing security just because, hey, we got this threat out there and so on, because it's somewhat meaningless without the right context. So I advise them, you know, really understand the world of risk management. And if you can understand that, then you can say, okay, what am I doing specifically to help this company mitigate that risk. You know, that right there is is also great advice. I think of the frustrated security practitioners that I know and some are friends or certainly people I've heard, overheard talking and they're frustrated that everything I've said is not being done. And I always think it back in my mind, you probably don't have context. You want it all to be done and why aren't they doing it? They're idiots. Yeah, that's there's it. There's a business to run. There's prioritization. There, there's just the realities of all that. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, you don't want to be overinsured. <laughs> and not that I'm advocating that cybersecurity is insurance because it is not. And I don't want you to say that. But I just want to say in context, as an individual, you don't want to be overinsured. And, and a company doesn't want to overinsure themselves either. They want to put too much into cybersecurity when they could invest in something else to make themselves a little more competitive, maybe. So it's teamwork. It's just teamwork. It's a balance. Well, Rob, we're coming to uh, the part of my show that I always like to do. And so I used to watch this show called Inside the Actor's Studio. It was like syndicated in over 100 countries. It may still be today. The longtime host, James Lipton, has passed on. But he borrowed, he ended this, these interviews with all the great actors and actresses uh, of the day. He ended, the, he ended the, the, the interviews with them with this Pavo questionnaire that he got from a French show. So I think it was like 50 years, this exact same 10 questions have been asked a lot of people. So I adopted it and sort of tipped my hat to that show. And uh, so if you're up for it, I'll ask you the, the 10 questions from the Pavot questionnaire. Okay, I'll do my best here. All right, let's do it. What is your favorite word? Comprehensive. And so you'd have to ask me the next question, which is what's my least favorite word? Right? That is the next That's question. Why, why would comprehensive be my favorite word? Well, because I think somewhere in the line of technology, we came up with this word holistic. And I'm like, 
where's this holistic come from? You know, we, sometimes you know, maybe it's a consultant that did that. I'm sure it was because consultants use it all the time, holistic. I'm like, okay, well, I just prefer comprehensive, you know, because that to me is what, it, what it's really about. Because I also think comprehensive is, is, it's about all, it's everything, right? It's comprehensive. And I like to think that way, you know, because you don't have a solution if you, if it's a, just a piece, right? It's got to fit into this comprehensive solution. So that would be my favorite word. Well, so what is your least favorite word? Well, I, it would be, you know, this holistic, you know, okay. kind of thing where, where we use this holistic but, but, you know, I, I guess, you know, if I'm, I kind of put it in context for you, um, maybe my least favorite word is, you know, when somebody is going to be so individual, you know, kind of like, you know, I, you know, uh, I got a hammer and everything's a nail, right? <laughs> that kind of thing. So, you know, uh, when you're, you've got this kind of focus, uh, this has happened to me in, this recently. And it's like, well, gosh, it seems like it was a vendor and a product. I'm like, Man, it's like your product can just solve world hunger. Yeah. <laughs> no, we got to fit this in into this comprehensive solution. So where does it fit? Where's its strength? You know, and, and don't tell me about all these things you kind of have aspirations to do. <laughs> Makes sense. What turns yeah. you on either creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Well, at this point in my life, you know, I've, I've really gravitated more to be a family. You know, fam family first. And I'd say that that's what really drives me, motivates me in all those categories, whether, you know, be spiritually and motivational. Uh, that's 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 my priority today, you know. And um, so I, I think I've found a much better balance as I've gotten older, matured. <laughs> what turns you off? Well, strong egos. So I, I think, you know, to me, life is all about teamwork. And when you get these people that come in, it's because of their title or, or some, usually it's their title. <laughs> you know, they feel like, you know, well, I'm in charge, so I don't have to work, right? I, I'm just going to tell you guys to do this, you know, don't, don't do as I do to kind of people. That's a turnoff to me. And, and you know, we've all seen it before. I have peers like that and so on, you know, it's just, yeah, it's a turnoff. What is your favorite curse word? <laughs> yeah, well, it, you know, it's a tough one. And I, I don't have a favorite, but I would like to say that I do see some people that love to use their favorite quite frequently. <laughs> Maybe the overuse of their favorite. <laughs> what sound or noise do you love? Uh, you know, birds chirping, singing. That, that's kind of my favorite, especially, you know, well, usually it is in the mornings, but, you know, it's nothing like waking up somewhere, right? And it's calm and you hear the birds and, uh, that's my favorite. What sound or noise do you hate? Uh, any high pitch noise, you know, especially if it's long duration. <laughs> that, that drives me nuts. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Well, you know, I, I just love the water, right? So um, I, I would like to do something like yachting or something like that where I could just be in the water and in you know, water sports and that sort of thing. That'd be a great profession if I could just do anything. Money's not an object. Uh, now, that being said, I, I'm not going to go back on my career because I've been very blessed. What profession would you not like to do? Uh, <laughs> a roofer, right? You know, so, so I see these guys up on the hot roofs and I'm like, man, how can they do that? My hat's off to them. 
hard work. I, I couldn't do that. And if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Well, I would like to hear that I, I did a good job, uh, that I handled the challenges as, as good as, I, as best I could, and that I treated, you know, people that, that were around me, friends, family, work colleagues, I, I, I treated everybody fairly. Well, thank you for sharing all that you did today and for all that you've done for the security industry going back a long way and for your service to our country. Thank you for that. I'm just now wrapping up with global OT security services leader, Rob Dyson at International Business Machines. Thank you for everything, Rob. Thank you too. Take care, talk to you soon. You bet, take care. Hi everyone, this is Derek Harp, the founder and chairman of the Control System Cybersecurity Association International, or as we call it, just CSEC. CSEC is a 501c6 nonprofit workforce development association dedicated to helping grow, support and sustain the professionals charged with the cybersecurity of control systems. We're specifically talking about those systems that have pumps and valves and actuators, real cyber to physical moving parts and control nearly every aspect of our modern connected industries. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. It's my hope you find it inspirational or motivating or revealing or informative, and perhaps at times even a little entertaining. Take care and be